Hi, howdy. How are you doing today? This is Celebrate the Savior, a podcast created by and for the Rapid City Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Tyler Pliske, one of your hosts, and I'm joined today by my vivacious co-host, Alexa Martin. How are you doing today, Alexa? I'm absolutely lovely. Thank you for inviting me. The Celebrate the Savior podcast is a place where you can hear real experiences and stories from local members of the Rapid City, South Dakota Stake, which ranges from the beautiful Black Hills to the Missouri River and Pier and the open grasslands of Shadron, Nebraska. From our guests, we learn more about who they are, what their story is, but most importantly, we learn about their relationship with the Savior. And together, we're here to discover what it means to celebrate the Savior, Jesus Christ, in our lives. Today, we are excited to be joined by Luke and Debbie Nearing. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Doing very well. Couldn't be better. Luke and Debbie Nearing have been in Rapid City for four years. They are members of the Mount Rushmore Ward. They have three children, um, Tommy, Katie, and Carson. Um, Luke is the CEO of Rapid Foundation Repair and a co-owner of Pro Lifting Solutions, which is not a weightlifting company, um, but he is quite muscular. So, <laughs> <laughs> Debbie works for Youth and Family Services as a grant uh, coordinator. Um, Luke loves bighorn sheep, and Debbie, when asked about her favorite animal, says she likes little quail. Their favorite primary songs for Luke is I'm a Child of God and Debbie Likes I'm Trying to Be Like Jesus. We're just excited to have you. We um, have had so much fun recording this podcast with other people and we know that your story will be awesome to hear tonight as well. We just want to start off with where you're from, um, where you grew up, what it was like to grow up there, and um, what you liked to do when you were a child. I grew up in Linden, Utah. Um, I grew up in the same house um, all my life. Um, I, I often tell people that I wouldn't change a day, a day of my childhood. I really had a wonderful, wonderful childhood. And a big part of that was my parents. Um, great parents. I lived next door to my grandmother Johnson, which was a, um, a, a blessing and lived close to family and so cousins were a big part of my life and just just had a lot of fun growing up. Growing up, um, one of my favorite things to do was um, to water ski. We lived uh, pretty close to Utah Lake even though that's a disgusting lake and <laughs> it's um, one that most people do not uh, get excited to go to. We loved it because there, it was huge and there was no one on it because it was gross. So, um, but that's, that's a, one, that was one of my favorite things to do growing up. My dad worked um, long hours. He owned his own construction uh, company. And so especially during the summer, he worked long hours. And that was the time that I had with my dad. That's the times that I remember was being out on the lake. And um, ever since just being young, having a boat, I've just loved that. And um, it's been something that we've carried on in our family because I loved it so much. I grew up in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Um, it's hard for me to, th to think of my childhood and not think of our um, garden, um, from planting the garden to weeding the garden to harvesting um, vegetables and 
raspberries from the the raspberry patch um uh we at the end of that um when you're tearing the garden down we would do garden olympics so javelin throw with the corn stalks <laughs> and uh throwing rotten vegetables at each other um uh also remember playing in the front ditch um when we would flood the you know water of the garden we'd flood the front lawn and the ditch and um fun there but um pleasant grove when i grew up there was quite rural um the homes on so the home that i lived in was born in and grew up in and my parents still live in today was built by my mother's uh father he also built um four other homes in that same street um he lived built one then moved built another one anyhow um a great childhood though safe secure um just comfortable and uh yeah i mean great great siblings and parents so that's awesome to grow up with uh, boats and gardens you sound like uh you could fit right in with the poliskis um <laughs> uh, my dad loves boating my mom loves gardens so um, during your childhood, is there a story or a time that you felt close to the Savior that you could share with us? So one of my uh, greatest fears, um, even up until, you know, it, it probably I probably didn't overcome it until uh, during and after my mission was just having to speak in any capacity in the church. Um, and I remember that fear being present in primary. And so um, the the memory that came to mind as I thought about that question was I uh, was asked to give a talk in primary. And I remember the book that the talk was on, um, that you can do anything uh, if you put your mind to it. But what made me feel close to the Savior was... Um, my mom standing next to me during that talk. Um, and as I, as I th thought of reflected back on that and think of my mom, she was acting in the savior's role. And so in that moment, she gave me the confidence to do something that I didn't think I was capable of doing or that I otherwise would not have done. And, um, so she, she did exactly what the Savior would have done had he been there, and that was stood next to me and helped me accomplish something, overcome a fear, although um, I didn't overcome it in that moment. That was just something that um, uh, she helped me do. So, Last weekend, Luke and I were on a date, um, and we were talking about early childhood experiences that we had had that strengthened our testimonies when we were young, like those those first impressionable experiences. And the one that always comes to mind that it's probably uh, the earliest that I really remember that really left an impact on me was uh, my mom's family, her uh, siblings, we all rented a houseboat and we were down on Utah or on, at, we were at Lake Powell. And um, when we got there, the man that was, um, you know, getting the houseboats all ready and making sure everyone was ready to go, we uh, we got there and, and he said, I'm sorry, but the people that had this houseboat before you uh, broke one of the engines. It's totally broke. Um, 
So we're sorry, but we'll give you your money back. And my mom's brother asked him, well, does the other engine work? Because, you know, there's two and and we're fine with going really slow. <laughs> and they said, yeah, that's fine. If you if you still want to go, then there's that one engine that works. We said, great, we'll take it. So we got on and uh, those who know Lake Powell, kind of in that main channel, there's those tall red cliffs. And we started on our way and we got out there and the other engine stopped and the wind picked up and it was rocking our houseboat and we were out there for quite a while probably an hour or two my uncle trying to get the to fix the second motor um, trying to get it started so we could keep going and the wind picked up and kept getting stronger and stronger and it started pushing the houseboat into the cliff and that was when my mom's family said okay we need to say a prayer so we all, there were so many of us, but we all knelt down on that main level. And um, I don't remember who offered the prayer, but someone said the prayer and asked Heavenly Father to help us um, to get the boats, to get one of the engines started uh, that we could get safely away from the cliffs. And uh, they said amen, and my uncle walked over to the little control panel and turned the key and the engine started but it wasn't the engine that we started with it was the engine that was totally broken that started and that engine carried us throughout the rest of our trip and when we got back when we were done and we had a wonderful time and when we came back uh, the man couldn't believe that we had been sailing for a week on that one engine and that I was probably nine years old at that time and I will never forget that and I think that that was the first time that I really um, realized that Heavenly Father ha um, hears and answers our prayers. Thank you guys I love that so much. Kind of going off of that we were wondering at what point in your life did you choose to begin following Christ for yourself and why? Um, I think the point of my in my life when it truly was up to me to follow Christ was when I um, moved away from home after graduating from high school. I uh, was offered a scholarship at Utah State University, and uh, so that's that's where I went. And that's the first time where mom and dad aren't there to say, okay, we're going to church. It's totally up to you. Mom and dad would have no idea if I didn't go to church or not. And it was really interesting. I had five other roommates and they were all LDS. And there were probably half of us that decided that church was important and that we were going to go to church. And um, it's, it's interesting to see where I, I'm still in contact with most of them um, and it's interesting to see where our lives are from those who decided to continue to go to church and those who didn't. Growing up in, in Pleasant Grove, Utah, I was probably like most kids. You went to church because your parents told you you're going to go to church and when you turned 16, if you wanted to have the keys to the car, parents' car, then you went to church. And so I was a very duty-driven youth and um, growing up, and so out of duty I went. Um, 
it was probably uh, when I was 16, just before my 17th birthday, my oldest brother was serving a mission in Oklahoma City and um, was uh, killed in a car accident while serving his mission. And um, I would say that I had always, I can't really remember a time where I didn't have a desire to um, be active in the church and, and want to attend those meetings. But again, sometimes mostly out of duty and not out of testimony. But I remember, um, and I'd always thought that I would serve a mission. Um, but I remember some people after my brother passed away asking if I was going to serve a mission. And I, um, and of course my answer to that was yes, I'm absolutely going to go. Um, but that was kind of a point where, people are like, really, like, that doesn't scare you, you know, that your, your brother went and didn't, didn't come home. And, and the thought never really crossed my mind. Um, but at that moment, as I look back on that, it was my own decision. And um, nobody would have uh, faulted me for deciding not to go out of fear or for whatever other number of reasons. And so, um, I was committed to serving a mission, and um, gosh, um, well, I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, that was uh, a, has been a blessing, just committing to doing that. Yeah, we'll actually, we'll jump right into talking about serving a mission. We'd love to hear about where you went and how the experience of serving a mission um, has blessed your life and how it continues to bless your life. So I served in the Dominican Republic um, and a Spanish-speaking mission, um, learning the language. And, and the, the first, uh, the MTC experience was probably the hardest part of my mission. Um, didn't take any foreign language classes in high school. Um, was paired up with um, someone, a companion that already spoke Spanish fluently and um, I remember distinctly going to one of the last firesides and it was all in Spanish like a week before we were heading out and uh, I just turned to one of my instructors after it was over and was like so how much am I supposed to understand of that and she's like well you know, at this point you should understand most of it I didn't understand hardly anything um, and so my I was just sick to my stomach uh, here I am leaving to a country that they only speak Spanish, and I, I can't even understand it. Well, in the Lord's way, as is always the case, he prepares the way, and I had a senior companion that knew the language and um, was there to help and support any time that, that I needed that. Um, six months into my mission, I finished um, I finished reading the Book of Mormon in Spanish and um, from that point on I never I never remember really struggling with the language I was always able to communicate <clears throat> whatever I needed to communicate from a gospel standpoint to the people that I was teaching um, I can't talk about my mission without talking about a couple of then uh, young girls, um, Karina and Adiam, uh, standing at their gate. I can see them in my mind's eye as clear today as, as, as I was standing there. 
and my companion and I went up and started talking to them like we had done thousands of people before, and they asked how they could become members of our church. Um, and uh, we taught them. We taught their parents. The parents did not uh, choose to follow what they felt, uh, but they did. And uh, Audium has uh, been, she's sealed in the temple, his children, uh, and Karina is... Uh, uh, still active in the church and has had a little rougher path. But um, I share that experience because the mission, I think it illustrates what the mission does. It it changes you. And um, I left on my mission one person and came back another. And that change was only possible um, because of the Savior's influence in my life as I represented him, studied at, at a time in my life um, more about the Savior and his gospel uh, then than any other point previous in my life. And as a result, um, you get to know him. And uh, as you allow him to enter your heart, uh, it's impossible not to be changed by him and his atoning sacrifice. And um, I came back a better follower or disciple of Jesus Christ and uh, in as much as I've uh, stayed true to the things that that I learned and that were confirmed to me in, my, in the mission field I've been blessed and uh, whether that was in abundance or whether that was uh, just helping to lift me through some of the trials that I've faced coming back from the mission well I when uh I, after I had finished my sophomore year at Utah State, I went home and I was working on my mission papers. I had met with the bishop and um, I had everything except my um, doctor's I think I'd been to the dentist and everything and I was ready to, getting ready to turn in my papers when I met Luke. And um, I... I didn't say anything for a long time to him because I didn't want him to, I, I don't, I, I just didn't want him to be a part of the decision. I wanted it to be purely me. And um, finally, one day my mom said, don't you think you ought to say something to Luke? And I said, yeah, you're right. I should. So I, um, I, I told him, one night that I had been working on my mission papers and that they were about ready to be turned in and asked him what he felt about me turning them in. And he said, I don't know, I'll have to think about it. <laughs> and I thought, well, what is there to think about? <laughs> and um, and uh, to make a long story short, we um, we just both felt like marriage was uh, the right thing for us. And I told him that if we got married, he had to promise to take me as, um, as a couple. And that's something that we plan on doing in the, in the future. That's awesome. Um, for anyone that's listening, um, that might not know, um, many members of our church when they're young, uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, serve a two year, an 18 month to two year mission. Um, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where they share, um, spend two years teaching other people about Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so, as you've been listening, that's what we mean when we say we served a mission, or we're 
planning to serve a mission before we met uh, dashing Luke Nearing. <laughs> <laughs> um, turning missionary work from then to now, how do you continue to try and share um, that, that missionary spirit, that spirit of Jesus Christ with others in your life? When we moved out to Rapid City, um, I guess back up for people ask us how we ended up in Rapid City and, and there are some uh, several answers that we could give, such as uh, wanting to be closer to Josh and Stacy and his family, my brother Josh and Stacy Nearing, uh, being being uh, better uh, business opportunities, employment opportunities. But the real reason that we came here was um, because we felt like it was uh, the right place for our family, and so we left a place that we loved. Um, where we had uh, developed just some incredible relationships and um, and of course our family, uh, Debbie's parents and my parents and many siblings. Um, and coming out here uh, has presented, uh, specifically for me, some uh, opportunities in the workplace that would have never been possible in uh, Salt Lake City where we lived. Um, just um, the nature of the applicants in the construction industry, um, uh, typically pretty um, rough, I guess is the best word I can use, uh, uh, lives. Um, and so I try to just listen. I, I believe in one of the, the truths that I've learned over the years is that we are more alike than we are different. And so I look for the likeness, despite all the opportunity to see differences. And so today, um, well, a couple of weeks ago, one of our employees is, is going to do um, a ritual, a sun dance, which is a pretty spiritual endeavor and, and takes quite a bit of sacrifice. But I didn't know anything about that. And it came up again today because he's, he's gone this whole week. But I was talking to the foreman and I said, just tell me about that. And, um, it takes a year of preparation. There's uh, you have to hundred percent sobriety, which is an incredible feat for, um, many of the, the individuals that, that come in our workplace. Um, and, uh, he's, he's saying, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit odd and there's, you know, the, some things that we do that might seem strange. It's a real spiritual thing. And, as I sat there and listened to him, I, I just um, couldn't help but just uh, hear the similarities. And so I shared with him, um, well, no, you know, I can relate with that. I mean, we have things in our, our uh, the temples that are uh, considered very sacred that we don't talk much about outside. It's not because it's secret, it's because it's sacred. Um, I, I talked to him about the sacrament and how that may seem uh, somewhat uh, odd to some people, but, um, and so I just look for opportunities to, uh, share about, uh, similarities with them and their cultural and, and religious uh, pursuits, um, that, that coincide with ours. I think one thing I try to do is just share my life with others. 
and the gospel is a huge part of my life. And in, so in doing so, uh, I think I, I share my testimony and, and um, my feelings about the church through that. Um, when I first entered the workforce after graduating, I remember I was very fearful of sharing things with coworkers about things that we would do about, uh, you know, just anything that was church related, I didn't like to share. And I just kept that to myself. Um, But as I've got a little older, I've realized that that's a great opportunity that we have to, um, to share more about the the gospel and and to um, introduce others to, um, to the church. Thank you so much. Uh, You kind of talked to or touched a little bit on this when we were talking about missions, but we always like to ask the wife, um, (laughs) how did you guys fall in love? And how did you meet? What was your first date? And how did you know that getting married was the right decision? And what temple were you guys married in? This ought to be interesting. (laughs) Um, They said a lot of, when we were starting the podcast, um, Tyler told us that you can lean into the mic because, you know, a lot of times people will, your partner will want to interject. And I said, well, Luke's not going to need to because I tell it the way it is, it, the right way. <laughs> so um, uh, Luke and I met through his younger brother, Josh, who is a year older than I. Um, I knew Josh in high school and we were pretty good friends in high school. Uh, But Luke was on his mission at that time, and so I had never met Luke. Um, And then uh, Josh left for his mission shortly before Luke came home. Um, So I went two years at Utah State. I came home for the summer, and that's when Josh had got home from his mission. So I went to go see him, and uh, he introduced me to Luke. And um, I was pretty interested from from the get go, um, and but uh, our first date was probably a little different than than most. I called Josh <laughs> and asked him if he wanted to go up the canyon <laughs> with some friends. I oh my sister was going up, and I had there were a bunch of people that were going up the canyon to you know roast hot dogs and and watch watch a scary movie. And so I called Josh to see if he wanted to go. And he said, yeah, sure. And I said, well, my roommate's here. Do you have a friend that you could invite? And he said, well, I'll invite Luke. And I said, great. So when we got to their house, it was kind of like Josh and I were on a date and Luke and Megan were on a date. And by the end of the night, Luke and I (laughs) were on the date and Josh and Megan were on a date. (laughs) We had switched partners and um, Luke was just always a lot of fun. I was never, I never felt um, intimidated or um, belittled. Like he was just, just a great guy. And that was I, the more I was with him, the more I wanted to be with him, which was which was very different for me because usually I would go out with a guy for a while and then I was like, okay, that's enough. Like, I've, I've had enough. But the more I was with Luke, the more I liked him. And that was very strange to me. Um, and 
so we we started dating and and it seemed like after that first date I think we saw each other about every day after that and after when after that first date maybe that we got uh after we got home and oh it was a couple days later Josh said you ought to you ought to date Debbie Luke and Luke said well aren't you going to date her and Josh said no we're we're more like a brother and sister you know kind of we're just we're we're really good friends um so you should date her Luke so um he called me up and then we started we went out again and then like I said it was about every day after that um and then uh yeah I I think how how I knew that it was the right thing to get married, I, I kind of shared a little bit earlier with going on a mission was through prayer. Um, Luke went to the temple, I know that, and, and we both made it a matter of prayer, and we both felt like that was what Heavenly Father wanted for both of us. Um, <laughs> however, that doesn't mean that I didn't get cold feet because we went and looked at rings and then the next day, I, w- I went down to Lake Powell with my, my dad and some, well, my family and another family. And the the other family said, hey, are you dating anyone? And I said, no. <laughs> and so he's, he wanted me to, he wanted to set me up with his younger brother. And I said, okay. And we had looked at rings and... <laughs> And Luke, I didn't tell him that until after we were married, I don't think. But <laughs> but that was just me. I, I was really nervous about, oh, my goodness, like, is this really happening? Is this is this the right thing? But I never really questioned it because it it just felt right. It came easy. And I just I adored him from the beginning. And I still do. Uh, I'll just say, um. Well, Debbie wants me to say that uh, we were married in the Mount Timpanogos Temple in uh, American Fork, Utah. I I would agree um, meeting Debbie and, and dating, the whole experience was, was uh, effortless. Um, I found myself just uh, wanting to spend as much time as I could with her and, um, and, and we did. And so I try to find opportunities to, um, take her to work. Um, and, uh, just any opportunity I could to, to be with her, stop by where she was working at a care center and drop off a drink. And she was embarrassed because she didn't have her makeup on. And, uh, but those were all good, good learning experiences for me. But as far as knowing, um, that the prayer was just uh prayer was just part of the confirming experience of everything that I already knew and um through the the courtship and had I had the the privilege of having a mission president who was a marriage counselor and uh he shared with us things that were um the most likely uh indicators of a successful marriage and the number one was whether or not your your parents um, were happy in their marriages and come to find out you know as I learned Debbie's parents were very very happy and my parents as well and so right from the get-go we had that um, in our favor as well as the same religious beliefs 
and um, lots of came from similar, um, I wouldn't say economic backgrounds, but um, definitely um, principles of her dad being extremely um, generous as well as my father. Um, so living within their means um, and uh, faith was a big part of both of our upbringing, family home evenings to um, scripture study, um, church attendance. Beautiful. That is a, an amazing story. Um, we're going to go back in time just a little bit because, Debbie, you've just been called to be the institute uh, teacher in the Rapid City Stake. And so we want to talk a little bit more about what it was like when you were a young adult, which we'll define as the time from when you graduated high school until your first child was born. So we'll include the early part when you were married as as being a young adult. So you can talk about that too. But we want to hear about um, how you uh, came closer to Jesus Christ during that chapter of your life. You know, when a lot of things are uncertain. A lot of things are up in the air. Um, you're either, you know, looking for an education for uh, a husband and, you know, stable jobs and incomes as a couple. Um, so how did, going through that whole transition as a young adult, how did you come close to the Savior during that time? Another spiritual experience that I had was when I was um, applying for colleges and I really, really wanted to go to school, um, and uh, but I, I just thought I, I need to get a scholarship to be able to do that. So I was looking through all the different scholarships that might be available that I could apply for, and there was one that was an alumni scholarship to Utah State, and I thought, oh... Who in my family went to Utah State? Well, come to find out, my grandpa took a machinist course there. One course. And I thought, oh, I don't know if that counts. <laughs> but my school counselor said, well, apply. And, you know, the worst they can say is no. So I applied for this, this scholarship with a prayer because there were other people that had both parents that had graduated from Utah State um, that were applying for this scholarship. My grandpa took one course, and uh, so I, I was just praying. You know, I, I felt like that was what I should do, and, and I felt like Utah State was where I should go. And I, I told Heavenly Father, if this is what I'm supposed to do, please help me find a way to be able to do it. And I came, and I had... I. Gosh, I, I think I fasted every Sunday for about two months, just praying for <laughs> some kind of help. Um, and um, and I, I remember getting the letter in the mail. Yeah, mail, way back then, <laughs> when you actually got things in the mailbox. And um, it was saying, congratulations, that uh, you're the recipient of the alumni scholarship. And I could not believe it. And I went up to my room and um, knelt down and just said a prayer of gratitude, of thank you. Like, I, I don't know if I deserve it, <laughs> but I was so appreciative of... Um, of that blessing, that little tender mercy that helped me um, go to Utah State. 
Um, and, um, prayer has always been a big part of my life and helped me through a lot of different challenges and, um, as, as well as fasting that I have a, a strong testimony of, of fasting. Well, you already heard a little bit about my being a young adult. Um, I obviously the didn't have many dating prospects because Josh knew I was available without even asking me if I was available to go on a date with Deb. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, dating I think is, is, um, uh, that's a challenge for young adults, um, that, uh, that I wasn't, um, you know, that, that was part of my experience of, um, just going through that challenge of, uh, well, I, I, I typically, I have a hard time enjoying the journey of things. I just want to get to the end. And so dating, um, I didn't, I didn't, I can't even remember. I didn't date a whole lot of, uh, girls before I even met Deb. So of course the first one it was easy for me. The first one to call me back was the one that <laughs> I knew was the one for me. But, um, so, but it was, it was challenging. In fact, um, in that, um, the people I hung out with before my mission, um, were, were good individuals. Um, but like I said, when I came back, I was different. And so wanted to be around different circles and just didn't find those individuals. So I stayed home a lot and I was with my, my parents and, um, some of those opportunities, um, I remember one specific family home evening with my parents where we went through Jacob five and, and still remember to this day, just how insightful that was the most insightful experience of going through that. But the key as I, Debbie and I, um, through our courtship, through our marriage, early marriage, um, and throughout our marriage, faith has been at the center and that faith means just believing uh, again, I'm a duty-driven type of an individual, um, was more so early on than I even am now, just did them because that's what, what we're supposed to do. My favorite scripture is First Nephi 3.7, so you, you, I'll go and do the things the Lord wants because, you know, I'll pre I know he'll prepare a way, right, the things that he commands. But I remember in our marriage um, at least one experience um, early on where, uh, we're both going to school um, and working part-time and um, money was, was tight like everybody and uh, tuition comes up and, and you just, it's like, how are we going to pay for that? And um, I was at the time uh, working a hundred percent commission job and um, had no prospects of any income and um, our car broke down, and it was a $700 expense, and we had no idea how we were going to pay for that and the upcoming tuition. Um, but we still continue to pay our tithing. And um, I know just that simple faith in that uh, principle of tithing blessed us then. Um, I had a, uh, an opportunity, a sales opportunity to come through that gave us the money that we needed. Some family gave us unexpectedly gave us some money and we, we had what 
what we needed to pay for tuition and to get the car fixed. Um, and so that that's just one of uh, many experiences where if you just stay centered on on your faith uh, and do the things that you know you're supposed to do, then things work out. And um, they don't often work out on our timeline, uh, but they work out on God's timeline. And when you look back, um, you, connecting those dots, you see the the inspiration and, and how divinely orchestrated everything was uh, to, to our benefit. So That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Moving on from being a young adult, we'd like to know more about your families and what does God's plan of happiness mean to you and how has it strengthened your family? And how do you share your testimony of Jesus Christ with your children? One, uh, well, a series of uh, faith-building experiences for us was when our youngest, Carson, was born. Um, He he was born having a seizure. I'll make this could be an hour story in itself, but... um, he was born having a seizure, and we didn't we didn't know what was going on. And after running a bunch of tests, well, they took him by life flight to Primary Children's Hospital, and he ended up being in the hospital up there for about three weeks, um, in the in the NICU. And uh, when he was first born having the seizure, we didn't know what was going on. They were running test after test after test, and he kept having seizures and um, when he was 72, uh, hours old, they could do an MRI. So they did an MRI and, uh, then they had us gather around his little, what do you call that? Incubator, Incubator where he was. Um, at, while the neurologist came to, uh, talk to us to tell us what they had, uh, discovered through the MRI. And I remember it was, uh, Luke and me and his parents, we were the ones at the hospital at the time. Again, he, well, let me back up. Um, He wasn't even 24 hours old. And I got the call, it was in the middle of the night, and the nurse's desk called me and said, he's having another seizure, if you want to come down and, um, and be here. Luke was asleep, and we were both so exhausted, and I thought, I don't want to wake Luke. So I went down there, and uh, I'm watching this team of medical professionals poke and poke, trying to get a little, tiny, tiny little vein for him to administer drugs to him. And, I mean, even to the point where they had an elastic band on his head and they were trying to find a vein in his head and they just kept poking him. And it felt like more than I could bear to watch my innocent little son that wasn't even 24 hours old go through something like this. And as I sat there, I just kept praying for Heavenly Father to give me strength to be able to stay there, to be there for him. And I had the thought that this was maybe just a small 
degree of what our Heavenly Father felt watching his perfect little son go through something horrendous that wasn't fair. And I think I I got a glimpse of how awful and how painful that must have been for him. Um, and so then, um, 48 hours later, we're at Primary Children's Hospital, and the neurologist gather gather us around his little bed and they told us he wouldn't make it more than 30 days that he was very sick he had had some uh brain trauma um he had gone without oxygen for some time while he was being born and because of that he wouldn't make it and as a parent to hear that is heart-wrenching and um, after we were done talking to the medical professionals we went out in the hall and I remember it so vividly uh, Luke's mom said don't give up hope have faith and I thought, what is she talking about? <laughs> she was just in there. She heard what they just said. What hope have we got? But Luke and I decided that we would rather live in faith than in fear of what was going to happen. And for those next few days, I remember just having a calm feeling or just being calm and having the thoughts it'll all be all right. That doesn't mean that Carson was going to live, but even if if he did live or if he didn't, it would all be all right. Everything in the end would be made right. And I found great peace and comfort in that. And I think that at that point, I was able to accept God's will uh, for our little boy. Um, and... As it, as it turned out, he miraculously got better each day. And every day that we would, every morning I went to the hospital to spend the, the day there, every day I would go, something would be off. Like another cord was um, taken, another IV was out, uh, his oxygen was off. And it was miraculous to see his um, his healing and he was able to come home on my birthday which was when I, I've always said that was the, birth, the best birthday gift I could ever get. Um, so um, that was a really defining time in our lives where we really felt reliant on our Savior and God and um, just so grateful for the faith that we had to help get us through that, that experience. I'm glad Debbie took Carson. Um, to tell his story, uh, we've had, uh, it, it's been a challenge. It's still a challenge. Um, you, you three here have had an opportunity to interact with Carson and he can be, uh, pretty exhausting, but Debbie and I had, uh, both individual, uh, experiences where we felt very, uh, clearly, uh, communicated to us that Carson chose to come to our family the way he did for very specific 
uh, reasons, and those reasons continue to be manifest to us, but the least of which is not that he came to help us uh, get closer to the Savior. What the the plan of happiness, God's plan of happiness at the center of that is is family. Uh, we're all one big family. We've been um, organized into uh, families, uh, family units. Um, and what I find in that that unit of the family is that trying to be a father to uh, my children, uh, of course, Tommy um, being the first one, what what a choice and, and wonderful experience that that was to welcome him into our family after, you know, a great, great struggle from conception all the way to birth. It's uh, not an easy thing and give me an appreciation for motherhood. Um, but what I find is, as I'm uh, helping my, trying to teach my children what they're supposed to be doing, that I see myself in my relationship as a child of God with my father in heaven. And I'm reminded and uh, uh, frequently caused to pause as I think, well, I've, I'm frustrated with Tommy or Katie and, and how many times I have to ask them to do this or that. And I'm quickly reminded that heavenly father probably feels the exact same way about me. And so I've learned more about myself um, and uh, as I have the opportunity to be a father, I've learned to appreciate my parents and love them um, more for all that they did. And as I see firsthand the, the sacrifices that they made at the time, I had no idea what that required, but I know now because I have my own, my own kids um, and uh, get to to understand better what our Heavenly Father, the love He has for each one of us, and how unconditional that is regardless of um, who we are, what we've done. Um, and He wants the best for us, just like just like we want the best for our children. Um, and love each of them, each, each of the children, um, Tommy, Katie, and Carson, have unique gifts that they bring to the family and that uh, strengthen us. So, yeah, it's a powerful testimony of families, and uh, Carson and I are buddies because we both had IVs in our forehead very quickly in life. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Um, well, it's not cool to have IV in your forehead, <laughs> but it's cool for me. You know, we're buddies now. <laughs> um, um, well, uh, we would love to hear just quickly how you live the gospel while you do your job. Uh, I I believe that, um, and and I get this mostly from looking at my father and and his life. He's a very ordinary man, uh, worked 35 years for the post office. Um, But in that 35-year experience, um, the whole uh, collection of of those years and that experience is quite extraordinary. and uh, the the fact that he carried the same route for most of those 35 years, delivered mail to almost the same people, 
Uh, most people aren't willing to do that, but he did that um, in part because of his, his testimony of his role as a father and being a provider. And, and he provided uh, very uh, well, adequately for our, our family. So the extraordinary to me is, is the ability for someone to do the ordinary um, consistently over an extended period of time. And to me, that's truly extraordinary in the world of, of, of how fast-paced everything is and how we're looking for things to go viral and for overnight um, you know, uh, successes uh, in the business world or you know, the latest uh, uh, crash diet, you know, how to, whatever it is, we're looking for, for those immediate things. Um, and um, it's, it's truly is that, that Naaman principle where if we'll just go and, and figuratively wash ourselves seven, seven times in, in, uh, in the river as we're told, whether that's through counsel from President Nelson or our local leaders, um, extraordinary things will, will happen in our lives. My testimony uh, in, uh, in living at work, I just try to do the things that, you know, try to, try to be good. I try to do the things that the Savior would do. So if that means that uh, I meet someone that's in need of uh, monetary assistance, then my approach is that it's really not my uh, money anyways. It was, you know, I have a stewardship over certain financial things, and I try to do what, what the Savior would do with that, that money if he was had it in his hand or any other substance and invite and include people to uh, come to different uh, activities or um, that we may be having at our house or at the church and just to give them an opportunity to try to, come and see as Elder Bednar has, has asked us to invite us to do. We're all supposed to um, read and ponder the, the scriptures um, daily. That's what we've been um, instructed and counseled to do from church leaders. And that that's something different for everyone. That's a different time, a different place. For me, it's at work. <laughs> um, it's It's hard for me at home with kids and I, and late at night just does not happen because I read one verse and fall asleep. As Luke knows, he's taken a picture of me asleep <laughs> reading my scriptures. And so to me, I have found that the first thing when I go into my office, I have a pair of, or I have um, a Book of Mormon in my desk and the first thing I do every morning when I get there is pull out my, my Book of Mormon and, and read uh, a couple chapters before I start working. And I am amazed at how that helps me through my day. And I and I, it gives me time to think about it while I'm at work. And, um, and as I had mentioned uh, at the very beginning, um, my favorite primary song is I'm trying to be like Jesus. And as simple as that primary song is, uh, that's something that I try to think of and remember as I'm, as I'm at work. Um, how, how would the Savior react to this? What, what would he do in this situation? And, um, and so I think that um, starting off my day at work with um, 
with the reading that after reading the scriptures, it it helps put everything into perspective, and um, the the day just goes better. Thank you guys so much for being willing to bear your testimonies. I know that we have all really felt the spirit here today, and. Um, I really appreciate hearing those stories because that helps me strengthen my testimony. We always like to close with asking the question, how will you continue to celebrate the Savior and His presence in your life? So I'm a simple guy. I eat simple things. I use simple words. Um, And I I think that um, one of my one of my favorite phrases is um, simplicity is the ultimate uh, sophistication. And oftentimes things are simple, but they're not simplistic. And I don't think that the gospel is any different in that we all know that if we uh, pray every day, if we study the scriptures every day, if we attend our church meetings, look for opportunities to serve, and um, our lives will be blessed. But um, that doesn't mean that it's simplistic to do. There have been uh, plenty of days and plenty of of stretches of weeks um, and months where I haven't consistently done each one of those things. Um, So the first principles of the gospel are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we're here doing today, celebrating uh, the Savior. And um, we talk about faith a lot it's it's a more attractive principle to talk about than the second principle which is repentance but they go hand in hand and so to answer uh, that question that you asked Alexa um, I will continue to maybe try to embrace that principle of repentance more because I think it's an often overlooked that often has a negative um, meaning carries with it a negative meaning in our lives when really that's the great one of the greatest gifts that we've ever been given that even though um, we our best is not often enough for us um, because our, when we do our best and we give our all, it is enough to the Savior. Um, but we often can't accept uh, what we perceive as being better than what our best is, is, is acceptable, the Savior does. But when we, we have that gift of um, being able to walk in newness of life, and as we as we practice the principle of repentance and hand in hand with the ordinance of the sacrament, every repentance every day and the sacrament every week. So the fundamentals uh, for me, I found is just going back to the basics, whether it's in business or whether it's in personal development or in trying to increase my spirituality. The, there is, there's, uh, power in the simplicity of the fundamentals and the application of those things. And so I see faith and repentance as the fundamental principles that um, if we focus on consistently, then even though things may not seem um, make sense to us in our minds, we can trust that in our heart, um, they're, they're what God wants us to do. 
So just as Isaiah's words were, your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways, um, we can move forward with faith. And even though we don't have a perfect knowledge of that, we have a pretty absolute certainty through that faith that we're doing the right things. And when we get off track, then we have the glorious principle of repentance that allows us to get back on the on the path and, um, again, walk in that newness of life as if uh, we never stepped off the path in the first place. For <clears throat> Valentine's Day a couple years ago, um, something that I saw that I really wanted to do for Luke was um, get a picture of the Savior and, and put it in our home to have a picture. And um, I remember how special that experience was. I had ordered it online. And when I opened the box, I went down into one of the rooms in the basement so that no one, you know, would see it. Well, Tommy and Katie walked in right as I was opening it. But in hindsight, I'm so glad they did. Because as soon as I opened that box and there was this beautiful picture of the Savior, there was a completely different feeling in spirit in that room. And, um, it, and it, it was so cool to see Tommy and Katie feel that too. And to comment on just how beautiful that, that painting was. And, um, we were so excited to give it to Luke and, uh, it, it, it was a, a neat experience for him to open that. And we've put it, um, right by our our front door so that we see that um, picture of Christ every time we're walking in or out. Um, I think doing those little things every day makes such a difference, um, such as, as I've mentioned, saying, um, saying your prayers and, and reading your scriptures. I have a testimony of that, of doing those little things that, um, through doing those, you get to know your, get to know, um, the savior better and, um, and feel more directed in your life. I'm, I have, I have a testimony of my savior and I'm so grateful for him and for the atonement for his sacrifice that he made for me and for everyone else and that that means that I can live forever with my family and what a what a gift that that is there's nothing there's no greater gift than that and nothing that I would um, nothing that I want more than to live forever with my family and I know that that's possible because of him and for that I am truly grateful I know that he lives and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ amen we are so grateful that you took the time to come and spend an hour with us and sharing your testimonies. Um, Tommy, uh, Katie, and Carson, this episode is for you. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to Celebrate the Savior, we invite you to share it with others. And tune in next week for another episode. Thank you.